Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Welcome back to episode 11 of Modern Ancestral Mamas. I am Christine from Nourish the Littles, and I'm joined by my co-host Corey from For Nutrients Sake. And Corey and I are continuing the topic of budgeting, and we really wanted to touch on how to eat real food while on government assistance. And so for that reason, we decided to bring in today's guest, who is Victoria Boron, and she has some knowledge on how to manage this. And I first heard of Victoria when she was a guest on Diana Rogers' podcast, The Sustainable Dish. And I, you know, listened to her story, that podcast episode, her story really intrigued me. And then I started following her on social media and we started messaging each other back and forth and we would talk about, you know, random things. And finally, I decided I wanted to have her on the podcast. And so we've got her here today and we're honored to talk to her and hear everything that she has to share with us. So Corey, can you introduce Victoria for us? All right. So quick bio. Victoria lives near the coast of North Carolina with her husband and two daughters. In 2017, she found herself 100 pounds overweight after her first pregnancy and pre-diabetic. But through the help of some online science classes, learning about real food and nutrient density, she became, and, and by diving into the meal prepping thing, she lost 100 pounds, normalized her blood sugar, and surprise, got pregnant again. Congratulations. She has <laughs> two girls who are five and six years old, um, and she's working really hard to make sure that they understand the importance of food and nutrient density. In January 2020, (laughs) it's like really good timing for you to do this, Victoria left her job in the beer and um, wine and beer distribution arena to pursue her Bachelor of Science in Nursing with the future goal of attaining her Doctor of Nursing practice. While in a rigorous and full-time nursing program, she's also helping her husband manage the family farm, um, the family urban produce farm that they started during the pandemic. Being a part of what it means to eat locally and eat healthy has taken on many forms for her life with a meaning that has evolved just as their own situation has. Um, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you all tonight. This is great. All right. Would you um, give us a little bit of your story anymore beyond this, what we've already talked about in your bio. Yeah. So, um, so I come from, uh, a restaurant background, actually my, the beginning of like my work experience was in restaurants and, um, was managing and working that rigorous, rigorous, uh, um, those hours and, um, always cared about health and fitness. And I was really, um, 
privileged. I now look back at this and realize this was such a privilege to have family who, you know, they weren't like nutty about nutrition like I am, but they, my mom was like, oh, well, if you want some dessert, I will make some homemade cookies. Like that was my mom. She made things from scratch and we sat down and had dinner and that was just such a privilege. And I realize now looking on that, like that was such a gift. And, uh, and my dad was, would go to the gym and work out in the yard. And so my parents were active and kind of instilled that in me. And so throughout all my years, I'd always been a pretty healthy person. Um, I did a little bit of personal training and, um, and then I watched some just horrifying, and I use quotes for this, horrifying uh, documentaries. I use, also use quotes for this as well, documentaries, <laughs> um, air quotes on, um, you know, the horrors and uh, of meat and dangers of animal foods and um, sat- saturated fats and um, how we are eating entirely too much protein. And, and so I watched Forks Over Knives and what the hell? Well, no, what I think what the health came out later, but I remember just being like, oh my gosh, I have been so duped. And so I just went vegan, you know, cold turkey, dropped all that bad meat, like a bad habit. And, um, and of course I had that honeymoon phase that lots of vegans talk about, you know, where like for six months, you're just like, wow, I'm so much lighter as in parentheses, as I'm losing massive amounts of muscle, <laughs> um, I, I just was, um, I, you know, oh, I'm having three or four bowel movements a day. Look at all this fiber. It's just amazing. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just like a, a gorilla. <laughs> so, um, I, I did that for, for years and realized, um, just every year I, frankly, got hungrier and hungrier. And my appetite would just, just be over the top at some point. And, you know, I would just, just eat the whole refrigerator. And, um, so I realized eventually that like, this wasn't working. I was actually gaining tons of weight because my appetite was just, you know, a plate of leaves and beans. And so it was just not doing it for me and, um, had all of the different, uh, powders and whatnot, and just to try to make it all work. And, and, um, and it didn't, I just hit the point of diminishing returns. And so I gave that up and just went back to actually a worse, probably a worse diet, the, the true standard American diet, you know, I was eating, fast food and things like that. And so I had just been just progressively putting on weight. And, um, by the time I got pregnant with my first child, I was already 60 pounds overweight and was already considered, um, obese by my doctor. And, and then I just rapidly put on another 40 pounds. And so after I had my first child, I was like, wow, I, I feel awful. And, um, how am I going to do this? Like I, I've always worked out to stay healthy. So how am I going to get a hundred pounds off? Like I remember running to the end of the street, a hundred pounds overweight and crying and just being like, Mm. I'll never work out or work off this amount of weight. It hurts. 
it hurts to be standing here. And uh, I was like, I've got to figure out how I'm going to do this. And so, um, through lots some like really amazing resources, some that I'm just absolutely willing to share. Um, I learned about some basic human metabolism, Khan Academy, YouTube, and, um, slowly but surely like lost the weight using nutrient density, you know, Weston A. Price, um, and, uh, Dr. Ted Naiman, uh, some of these, um, doctors were just really helped me out a whole lot and got pregnant in the middle of it again (laughs) while I was trying to lose all this weight. And so, um, I was like, Oh no, like I'm not done. I'm not at my, I'm not, I'm, I'm, how am I going to have a baby and, you know, keep losing this weight that I need to lose. Um, cause I was unhealthy. I was inflamed. I was pre-diabetic. Um, and Lily Nichols, her book, I swear is probably if I could do away with all nutrition books and keep one book, that's just so important. It would probably be real food for pregnancy, um, by Lily Nichols. Um, she's just an absolute gift. Um, so anyway, so here I am. Um, I decided to just give up and get out of the hospitality industry so that I could go back to school for nursing because I see, how devastating poor food choices, but also the context of how people make these food choices, their living situation, their financial situation, um, their educational background, their health literacy, their nutrition literacy, um, kind of all plays into whether or not somebody can make um, a good quality choice for their nutrition and for their, their future. And so I wanted to get into nursing cause I love teaching and I love helping people do things, um, for themselves, even when they have very limited resources. So 2020, like, uh, I said earlier, I quit my job <laughs> and all of the security that came with that to pursue full-time, uh, a nursing program. And at the same time, my husband's restaurant shut down that he was working in. And so we found ourselves here working very hard towards a goal of nursing school. Cause if I not only do, do I believe that nursing needs me, but I, I need nursing. I need that stability for my family. So we're on the tail end. I graduate in December and I've had to uh, use EBT, um, and snap, um, for my kids and for our family. And I am incredibly grateful that those programs exist. And, um, so I really hope that this can be helpful to somebody who is wanting to eat healthy, but says, Hey, I'm on, snap or I'm on wick and I've got a really, really limited budget. How, how do I do that? So I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you all to talk about that. Wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) no, your story is amazing. Um, (laughs) okay. I do want to say Christine and I have talked about this a lot and we want to be very careful and sensitive with this topic. Um, I personally have never um, taken advantage of these programs. 
I have plenty of family and friends who have, and I've seen, you know, um, what they go through to try and get their uh, families good food. Um, I know at one point, (laughs) my husband and I probably should have been on WIC or SNAP, um, but we weren't, we were really fortunate to have family that was essentially supporting us at that time. Um, But I'm, I just want to be very clear that like, there's no shame in needing this. There's no, you know, like, I don't want that to come across from anybody. And I want this episode to be, um, you know, a positive thing and some, and how we're talking about this. Um, So anyway, Victoria, something I think is important just to preface all of this is that every person that is on some type of assistance program, even though they're using this assistance program, it doesn't mean everybody's situation is the same. There's uh, people who have had to be on it um, longer term, and and that means their situation is different than somebody who is who came from having plenty before and then finding themselves in a position. There's so many different situations. People that have a car versus people that take the bus can take advantage. And I use that word as in just utilizing the resource that it is at different Mm -hmm. levels because of what's available to them, including whether or not they even have a grocery store close, close to them. So everybody, uh, I think, you know, we all agree that everybody's situation is different, but how do you, use the benefits that you, uh, you know, have been, have been, uh, able to take advantage of, how do you utilize that to make it healthy for your family and, um, and to make it last as long as possible and make it go and stretch until you get that next monthly installment? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think, I, we usually start the show off and I know we're already a little bit into it at this point, but we usually start the show off with a question that pertains to what we're going to talk about. And, um, I'm kind of feeling maybe we just skip it because there's going to be so much that we're getting into today. It's just going to be a long episode. Are you guys okay with that? I'm okay with skipping it because I was actually, wait, could I, I'm going to interject and just for the sake of the audience, Victoria, could you just sort of clarify what's um, EBT, SNAP, and WIC are, and then sure. just sort of give a brief overview of how they work. So you talked about your monthly installment, um, just right. so that the audience can understand what that would look like. Sure. So, um, so SNAP is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It's through the USDA. It's a federal program, but it's um, you apply through your um, county Department of Social Services. And then EBT is the way that you get those benefits. It's electronic um, benefits and it's a card. And the way that you apply, like for me, um, I don't know if we have listeners in North Carolina, but you would apply um, at ncdhhs.gov. Um, so that's my county, um, 
and it's called it's form DSS 1700. You have to have a social security number and they look at quite a few different things. And um, sometimes just the application process is a barrier for some people because it takes a long time. There's a lot of forms that you have to get um, gathered together. And um, but the folks, at least at my office, I just want to give a huge shout out to them because they were so helpful and so nice and so supportive um, in walking me through this. Um, I just really appreciated them because it's a hard it's a hard thing to apply. And you've usually come to this situation where you feel like you maybe don't have nice. I should say me. I felt like I didn't really have any other um backup plans and really needed that assistance. So, so that's SNAP and that's basically income, income based for your family. And they look at how many people are in your households and how much income you have. And you get a certain amount once a month installed on to loaded onto the card and you can use that. And SNAP covers, um, what are called staple foods and staple foods is just the edible items that you're going to commonly purchase at the supermarket. So fruits and veggies, meat, poultry, fish, dairy, breads, and cereals. Um, it also has, uh, like accessory foods. So ketchup, mustard, condiments. Um, you can buy potato chips, pretzels, popcorn, baked goods, ice cream, sodas. Um, those are all able to be purchased on snap um some of the things that you cannot buy on with with snap benefits are hot foods and that actually includes like rotisserie chickens um that's what i have seen i can't say that i've actually tried to buy a rotisserie chicken and not been able to so um just (laughs) putting that out there uh you can't buy alcohol with it um no pet food Uh, And it does not cover pharmacy items. It doesn't cover personal care or medicines, um, toilet paper, things like that. It doesn't cover anything like that. So it's really just for food. And um, I can honestly say that I've never gone to the grocery store and needed something grocery related and not been able to use my EBT um, card for it. So um, another good thing that you can use it for seeds and plants. So you can actually buy, um, some seeds to like start a little garden if you wish. So it does go to that. And in my County, there's quite a few farmers markets, local international markets, seafood markets that, uh, you can use EBT, um, or they'll advertise that they offer snap, uh, uh, at, you know, at those markets. And sometimes they'll offer double value, which is very, very helpful because your budget is a dollar amount. So if you're trying to make this dollar amount stretch, just like any other budget, if you're looking to buy a tomato and a Harris Teeter, well, Harris Teeter is what we have here, Harris Teeter, Food Lion, Aldi's, uh, that tomato um, is one price there, but if you go to a farmer's market, sometimes it's, sometimes it is more expensive. So getting double points is, or not double points, but double um, value is really helpful for being able to support local, but also make your SNAP benefits go a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. 
And then um, Wick is, it's basically defined by uh, a category. So it's postpartum women, pregnant women, breastfeeding. If you're breastfeeding, you um, it's an assistance um, for certain items, certain food items. And for um, if you have a child that is less than five years old, and that is determined by your bank balance. So there's bank balance limits for that. Um, so I hope that was a, a good enough overview. <laughs> no, definitely. That's, that's extremely helpful. Um, yeah. And when I lived in Chicago, there, the farmer's markets there accepted SNAP and also and Wick and did the double value that you were talking about. It was, I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, this is so great that the farmer's markets are promoting this and accepting this. With Wick, it does not, it, it doesn't say that you can get uh, meat with it. And yeah, I noticed I that too. Yes. I was wondering and, if you knew something about that. So I don't know for sure why. So this is, this is my opinion and this is what I think it has to do with. <laughs> um, and I could be wrong, but, um, it's just assistance for a few select items. So there's actually a lot with WIC that you cannot get. And in our current food climate, meat is not looked at as, um, a vital food or as an essential food it's looked at as a luxury food. And so even though the, you know, we know the nutrient density of this, of quality protein uh, and how important it is specifically for these developmental stages, you know, postpartum, pregnancy, childhood, great periods of growth, how vital meat is, they look at it as um, something that's not not necessarily essential. Um, so I think that possibly might be why it is not covered or it's not pushed. Um, I believe, um, dairy is, um, but only 1%, I believe, um, past two years old. So um, I was blown away when I started reading that. I mean, the first thing that I noticed was that meat wasn't allowed. And then I started reading about the dairy limitations and was shocked to see that, breastfeeding mothers and kids two and up are are not allowed to have whole milk or whole yogurt or you know full fat dairy products I mean it, it was just they just don't cover it and it's because it's a it's a high calorie uh, it's a high calorie it's a high saturated fat item and this is just a a part of a much bigger problem with our food systems when it comes to recognizing nutrient density, especially for um, these very uh, important developmental periods. And Lily Nichols is actually somebody who is working really hard at that. She is meeting with WIC. She's meeting with health departments. She's doing, she's doing the boots on the ground, hard work as a professional and she is somebody who I, I really look up to for doing that. And so um, that's the level that the change is going to have to come at for some of those things. 
Yeah, I really admire what she's doing. I mean, like you said, her book was like, is is the, such a amazing resource, not only for pregnancy, mm-hmm. but just in general for food uh, um, mm-hmm. education. I've recommended it like a bajillion times. Um, oh, yeah. So I but, buy yeah, it her used work every time I see it. <laughs> That's a, I keep that's copies a and I, I've never seen it. I give them away. I, I think I've given away about five copies. It's, I just, if someone oh, wow. reads it and it's like, I'm getting rid of it. I've already read it. I'm like, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it 15 bucks. Here it is. And then I always have it on my shelf and I just constantly give it away. So that is <laughs> a great really idea. idea. Yeah. I'm going to share it, share it. It's, it's very user-friendly. So plug Lily. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, for sure. We are, we would love to have her on the podcast. It would, it's like a, definitely a pipe dream of ours. (laughs) But, um, uh, okay. So let's, we've touched sort of on this. Um, but obviously this is going to be an obvious thing, right? Food is a basic human need, right? If, if we, um, look at the hierarchy of needs, food and shelter are the base of the pyramid and you know they're they're the foundation of what humans need in order to survive like bare minimum food and shelter so um what if if you know if being fed is necessary does it even matter like what people are putting into their bodies as long as it's some sort of sustenance So that's in my, okay. So yes, of course it matters. Um, It matters when you realize that food is more than just strict caloric energy. Um, And I think it's, Ted Naiman that says like, we don't really eat just like pure energy. Like we eat protein, vitamins and minerals, and then we have energy. So if you look at the three macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fats, two of them are what you really make the most energy with, or you store the most energy with. Um, And then the other one is protein is really structural and vital for, you know, hormones, um, immune system, skin, hair, nails, bones, um, there's protein is vital. And so we don't just eat strict energy. And I think if you look at our, our population here in the United States, when you can see the outcome or the result of viewing food as just, is just energy. When you see obesity, with the presence of nutrient deficiencies, horrible nutrient deficiencies. I'm pretty sure like the number one nutrient deficiency is iron. And I, and I hear people say that all the time, like, well, even meat eaters are deficient in iron. But when you look at the overall diet, we are not really eating many of the foods that are nutrient dense in the essential nutrients. So to the question, you know, should humans just eat whatever is, is around them. If that is all that is around them, 
then the hunger or the biological drive to eat is eventually going to kick in. And you, I don't believe that you can fault somebody, especially a child, especially a child, if that is all that is around them. Um, because mom works two jobs, dad's working two jobs. Um, a kid is home and has to make their meals and they're, they need something that they can tear and microwave. If this is what they have, this is, this is all their choice. And one of my favorite quotes is if you, um, if you don't have any options, if you don't know you have options, then they don't exist. So for, for people who exist in, let's say a food desert, cause that's essentially what we're talking about a food desert. You don't have access to fresh foods, then you're going to live on a gas station diet. And that's chef Boyardee chips, maybe some nuts, um, and Vienna sausages. And I've seen it. And I don't know that it's, it's, it's not a moral failing to be in that position. The difference I think that we'll, we're talking about is for the family that exists in a food desert and is very low income or having to utilize government assistance, that government assistance is as good as dollars, but those dollars can only be used with what you have in that area. Mm-hmm. If I have SNAP benefits and I have around me the privilege of five grocery stores, I can make those SNAP benefits really go far because I can shop the deals uh, and I have access to, to that. So there's really, it, it's, you got different situations with, with SNAP benefits, um, yeah, I see what so. you mean now. It's very it's very situational. It depends on where the individual and the family is located. And like right. you mentioned earlier, some of the resources that they have to use, so like bus versus car, the ability uh-huh. to drive further and that kind of thing. Oof. And that's it. I mean, when you think about when you think about traveling and grocery shopping, uh, many of us take it for granted. I mean, my, me myself I do too. Even though I'm able to get this assistance, I still have a car. I can still go buy what I need and load it into my car and drive it here. I don't have to worry about just making sure I have what I can carry in my two hands and get on the bus and be on the bus for an hour and a half to get through all my stops to where I'm living. So um, I think it would be helpful to say the position that someone finds themselves in if they are eating a gas station diet is a, um, a systemic big, it's a big structural societal problem. And what I would be most concerned about for them is quality protein. That would be, that is what, you know, quality protein and fresh fruits and vegetables in a gas station, you're lucky to see bananas, apples, some um, oranges, maybe some eggs. I'll never forget seeing like liver in a very rural gas station. And I was like, hey, look at this. <laughs> There's liver here. Um, let, Whoa. I, you know, it's definitely um, like 
I don't know. I wouldn't say necessarily questionable, but hey, it's there. It was there with some eggs. But I've, I've seen that before. I've also yeah, seen if you don't know, that's a good option. Seed. Yeah, pick up eggs. Eggs. I've mm-hmm. seen them there. And if we, if you are the person though that knows that that is an option, that's a viable option for nutrient density, then then it's an option. But if you don't know, and you've been yeah. told for every time you go to the health department that you should be avoiding red meat because of your hypertension mm-hmm. and you should be avoiding eggs because of the cholesterol, then you're going to avoid that because that's the one thing that I know I shouldn't have that. Well, I also shouldn't have chips, but you know what? I'm hungry mm-hmm. and hunger is the biological drive. So um, for the family, though, that is in a in a situation where they have access to a grocery store. That is a very different situation. One that is, um, I'm not ashamed to say it, it's easier. It is easier to help that, that family with budget saving, benefit um, saving tips. So for the sake of this podcast, I think we would probably really need to kind of look at that situation. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually, so I think the other piece of this question is the education piece. So yes, let's say, okay, so, so we will use that family as an example for this episode, the family that has access to the grocery store versus the individual or the family in the food desert. And Yes, they have access and yes, they have that assistance, but do they have the education and the knowledge to know what to choose from the grocery store? And, you know, you've mentioned, you had mentioned before about some of your nutrition education experiences working in hospitals and social um, social service settings. And I would, I have a feeling that that sort of weaves into this question. So kind of love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. So um, it was actually not too long ago, I was at a, at a health department and, you know, the health department is, is a, is a really great resource and they do such vital work for the community and the community nurses there are, um, they are essential anchors for, for the community. Um, However, the information on nutrition is just incredibly outdated and they they are given what to say and what to promote the flyers from state from federal from the USDA and it has to comply so as I'm, I was at this health department and there was this big bulletin board and on it was this big sign like healthy foods and healthy recipes and there were there were probably seven or eight recipes posted and they, they had a picture of the meal and it had a breakdown of the calories, breakdown of the carbs, fats, and the protein. And these were entrees. And I kid you not, out of the eight recipes, not a single one of them had double digit grams of protein. Not a single one. There was uh, just plain pasta and red sauce. Um, 
there were um, pancakes made with oats so that it had more they had more fiber. There was one dish that had one egg in it, and that's the one that came in with like nine grams of protein. And I just looked at that and thought, wow, we have a lot of work to do. And I don't necessarily have all of the answers, but the one thing that I will say is always the answer is modeling good health. And that's what I do try to do when I'm out. If I'm at the clinicals, I'm at the hospital, I'm packing a lunch and it is going to be an inexpensive quality protein, healthy vegetables, healthy fats, and, and it's got to be quick. <laughs> but that is one of the challenges. Um, some of the other challenges is just misinformation in the education system. And I'm talking about educating college students. So at my university, every single college student has to go through a wellness class. And in this wellness class, I'm a, I'm a huge um, believer in mindfulness and being in touch with your um, how you feel and your feelings and self-examining your own thoughts. Those are really vital uh, skills for just growing up. And part of it is food. And it's always based off my my plate. It's all the old. They're always saying, um, reduce your red meat. Um, every recipe um, has just it's just chicken. It's just plain chicken. Um, you still hear the age old like cholesterol from eggs is bad. <laughs> um, and they push fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables. Are they, and vegetables are not bad, but are they post um, they pushing? <laughs> yeah, right. Are they still pushing um, uh, like canola oil and stuff? Is that still a thing that people are doing? <laughs> um. Yes. What What you'll see is like coconut oil. Okay. I'll see avocado oil. I see um, any oils that are not trans fat and not saturated fat is what they'll say. Um. I mean, coconut oil but is it's, saturated. Fat. Yeah, I know it <laughs> yeah. is. It is. Yeah. It totally is. Um, but I'll still see see that. And then, um, but not like butter real... or Mm-mm. animal fats, right? No, not animal fats. There's no talk about what is actually essential, and that is that's where we're really struggling with uh, educating people how to eat is because they don't know what is essential, and if you don't know what's essential then you can't build your foundation. You can't go down to the bare minimum. For me, the bare minimum is always going to be, I need quality protein. I need my minimum uh, complete proteins. I've got to have my essential fatty acids. I have to have uh, all my B vitamins. I got to have iron. I got to have selenium for my thyroid. I got to have my electrolytes. These are things that are kind of non-negotiables and people don't know where they are. They don't know where they are in food. Can you tell us where they are? Real quick. (laughs) Just real, like, real quick. Real quick. Okay. So you, when you have limited time, you do not have the time or probably not the education to go piece together all of your complete, your, to get your complete uh, protein from all the different amino acids. Animal foods are complete proteins. So 
you honestly canned fish if you need inexpensive um, sources, canned fish, poultry, pork, um, beef, any type of seafood. Uh, I always start there for my complete proteins. Um, your red meat, some of your seafood, it's going to have your B12, your zinc, all of those essential vitamins and minerals. Um, I go for the leafy greens for my carbohydrates, some in-season root veggies if you need more, um, healthy fats, your fish, butter. I mean, I cook with all of those things. Um, but that's, those are the basics. And then you add on top of that. So I hear a lot of people say like, I, you can't, um, I can't eat healthy on a budget. I hear it all the time and eating healthy is expensive. It absolutely can be. <laughs> it can be expensive. <laughs> If you don't know what your essentials are, you have to cover those first. And so I make myself a little pyramid and the pyramid always starts with the, the macronutrients that I need and the micronutrients on top. And then as somebody who has limit a very limited budget, if it's organic and if it is grass fed, grass finished, free range, and it's within my budget, then I go there, but it is not my priority. So a lot of people who want to eat healthy, they feel like I have to eat organic. I have to, but, but you, you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to, I'd rather you eat plenty of quality protein and have those bases covered first. So a lot of people would say though, that quality protein is only, you know, organic or only grass fed or only right. local or whatever, or that only the only one that is an option for quality. Um, nobody can see that I did air quotes there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it right. is um, beef is your best option. And I and Christine and I have talked about this on the show. You know, we've we've talked about mm -hmm. Diana Rogers's research on this that yeah. beef, regardless of of how it is. Um, you know, whether it's grass fed or whatever is still um, conventional and grass fed are, are equal in nutrients, essentially. It's a um, marginal, it's just a very it, marginal difference. Right. Yeah. Not much of a difference. Yeah. So um, right. that's obviously a really good choice if you're going for quality protein on a budget. But I mean, I'm, I'm also of the mindset that if your budget is really tight, that right. buying protein, almost period, is still going to be better than not buying it. Or sorry, let me clarify exactly. this: animal protein, right? Um, exactly. You know, and and you know, buy eggs even if you're buying the 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 cheaper version. You know, it doesn't you don't yeah. have to buy Vital Farms. Like buy right. the buy the styrofoam container of white eggs. Yep. Um, so what people fail to realize in that because I've 
I'm very grateful for Diana's work on that. I, I, I've definitely had this conversation before with people who are like, well, grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture, like that is quality protein over conventional. And I think the argument absolutely can be made that for the for the planet, it is absolutely better to yeah. purchase regenerative practice and support local farms. And I've definitely done that when I had the cash flow to do that. However, for somebody at this level, somebody at the poverty level, they're actually not making the choice between conventional beef and regenerative beef. What we're trying to convince them is to pick beef or even chicken or poultry, any other poultry over just beans Mm -hmm. and rice. That's what we're trying to get them. So the step nutritionally from kidney beans to chicken thighs is huge nutritionally compared to that's, you know, 94% ground beef conventional to 94% ground beef regenerative. You're, they're not getting a huge bump in nutrients to justify the double the cost a lot of times. Yeah. So for sure. un- unfortunately, um, <laughs> so that's, it's important just to remember who the target is, who are we talking to? Right. I think this is really important, like really, really important because I've had so yes. many conversations with friends, with other, with people on the internet, you know, where I'll post something that says like, listen, buy what you can buy because, um, you know, buying, buying animal protein is better than, than not having it in your, any animal protein is better than not having it in the first place. And I get a lot of pushback from people in the, um, health sphere, uh, because there's this mindset of no, 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 no. We have to be supporting local. We have to be, um, you know, buying regeneratively. We have to only buy from Joel Saladin or whatever, but (laughs) like it's, Mm-hmm. When yeah. when you have, you know, however many kids and you're working, you know, two jobs or you're in school and you're working and you're and your partner is working or you don't have a partner. Um, yeah, this this is not it's not an option. You know, the option no. is either either we eat beef or we don't eat beef. But mm-hmm. it's not, you know, conventional versus grass fed. I think that's I'm really, really glad we're having this conversation. Oh, Yeah. Absolutely, Christine. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> no. I was, I was just gonna say it's, it's super nuanced, and I think it's important to break it down and, um, yeah, help people who might be in this particular situation. That animal protein, hands down, is just more nutrient dense, and you know, if you have the option to purchase that over beans, rice grains go for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I tell people like, I actually cannot afford to eat foods that are not nutritious. Mm. I just don't have the money. I don't have the money for it. So I can't stress enough. If you have found yourself in the position, you're in the position where you're have a very, very tight budget, um, filling, like having that foundation of essentials, iron, B12, D3, omega-3s, 
all of those things, complete proteins, they're readily found, easily found in animal foods. And if you've never looked at this for yourself, I highly recommend get a chronometer and put in, um, you know, put in four ounces of lean sirloin and look at the vitamin content or, you know, six ounces of salmon and look at the vitamin content compared to a cup or two cups of quinoa, which by the way, is not cheap. <laughs> and and when it's disgusting. You're look- yeah. When you're looking. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's also it not is- environmentally friendly from what I understand. No, no. Or but when you look at the chain. vitamin. <laughs> fair on the people who anyway oh yeah you do a whole nother podcast on that (laughs) when you look at side by side it doesn't cover what is essential and i know that um leading coming from an assumption of positive intent that the people who are on these programs, they still want to, to eat healthy, assuming positive intent here. They want to know, they, they want to do the right thing for themselves. They just are very confused because there's so much conflicting information. So I say like, go find out for yourself, use chronometer, even if it's using the free public computer at the library, go play around with chronometer on the on the website and put in all of the different foods that you eat and there are serious health um deleterious effects that occur when you do not have essential vitamins and minerals and best bang for the buck when we talk about making your dollar go farther i am not simply talking about calories per dollar I'm talking nutrients per dollar. And that's where, uh, that's how I view my budget. So I can only go so low on food. I will not feed my kid sugar smacks every single morning, even though it's, you know, I can get it at Aldi's for $1.99 for a big bag and I can get some skim milk. I won't do that. But, um, but you will have to make allowances in certain places. I can't afford to buy a quarter of a cow right now, um, but I will, maybe I don't get to have beef three or four days a week. Maybe I don't get to buy the same cuts of steak and I have to shop the sales and I have to have to do these things. Sometimes there's a week where I, I can't afford it. And, or sometimes there's, sometimes I go without it and just so that my kids can have it. Um, so that's the education piece is really important. That's, that's why I doing, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing as far as nursing school. So, okay. I don't know if this is a little bit off topic, but part of me wonders the education piece is what is missing in with uh, these government assistant programs. They are, in their minds, educating individuals with their, uh, forgive me for using the word propaganda, uh, (laughs) on, on how they view nutrition and health. And part of me wonders, okay, 
what is the purpose? What is the purpose behind removing meat for women and growing children? What is the purpose Mm -hmm. behind having a giant billboard or poster board that says, you know, you should be eating pasta with red sauce and this is a healthy meal for you versus is it, is it really that meat is evil and that's what they're trying to push? Is it, is there a different, I I mean, we, we, there is no answer to this because we can't know, but it just, I find it so baffling that the health of the American public is not being taken seriously and that they haven't updated their nutritional standards and that they're 10, 15, 20 years behind and the USDA has not updated their standards. Why Mm -hmm. is that? I just, I don't understand. And when they get the opportunity to, they don't. So like every five years, um, and if you've never done this before, I highly recommend it. Go to YouTube and look at... um, uh, Every, every five years, the USDA has to update their nutritional guidelines. And there's hours and hours of open forums where doctors, nutritionists, um, industry, industry um, workers and promoters come before the panel and give their spiel. And um, the data does not support removing meat unless you look at so-and-so's research on this hand or you look at it it can it can be it can be twisted anything can be twisted to support what the industry wants and the dollar is always gonna kind of win hands down and um you know this is kind of my platform, but like money influencing politics, because that's kind of what it comes down to really muddies the waters. And I, I, um, I'm a huge fan of science. I'm a huge fan of the scientific method. I'm a huge fan of research. I love evidence-based and I love like sitting in, you know, with all this data and, um, you know, looking at whether or not the data supports this, but nutrition research is some of the hardest stuff to, uh, to, to do well. This is some of the hardest research to do well, because you can't just take somebody and stick them in a room and say, this is the only thing that you're allowed to eat for the next 40 years so that we can prove, <laughs> you know, prove our point yeah. here. Um, is they're very, those are very difficult research trials to do. And so we don't really have much good nutritional research, but what we do have is a bunch of legislation and we have a bunch of laws and we have a bunch of money exchanging hands that happen 60s, 70s, particularly the 80s. And then we have the results. We have massive epidemiology and it's called the American public. To be obese with nutritional deficiencies shows that we have a nutrient-diluted, energy-saturated, caloric energy-saturated food system. Now, to the credit, I will say, of the USDA, if people actually ate 
my plate, and maybe you will disagree with me here, but if people actually ate my plate the way I believe that they intended it to be with whole foods and, um, and they weren't, people were not confused by labels from the American Heart Association or labels on boxes and things like that. If we actually ate what was recommended, it would be much healthier than what people actually eat. But when someone walks down the aisle and they see great source of healthy whole grains <laughs> and it's it's made by craft or post it to me is a box full of hunger because in an hour you're going to be hungry again and you will have wasted your money and you will not have received any nutrients from it so i don't know that there is a massive a huge um uh, nefarious uh, nefarious intention but I think that it was a lot of really bad choices that people thought were good and then we have dug our heels in because how can you tell the American public for 40 50 years don't have saturated fat you don't need much protein we eat too much protein I hear that all the time eggs are bad like you can't tell people that for 40 50 years and then go Ooh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we were very, very wrong. But I'll tell you what, my nursing physiology, pathophysiology texts tell a different story. When you look at what the elderly need, what children need, what somebody who is healing from burns needs, somebody who has broken bones, somebody who's getting over surgery, somebody who has got diabetes, when we read about it, it's always, they need to increase their protein intake. It's so much more important now for them to have high protein. I'm like, well, you could do this 30 years before they break a hip. <laughs> right. Can you imagine? Yes. yes. Imagine if we changed the food in hospitals. Side note, this is because you mentioned earlier about the grams of protein and how the, the highest gram of protein you saw was nine grams. Um, I'm, you might know more about this than I do, but I believe like in ancestral nutrition, one of the things that they talk about or, you know, kind of promote is the fact that for protein, especially for women, we want, I believe it is a gram of protein per pound in a, in a female. So yeah, it's per, I would is, say, it's, I would say Per pound of like ideal body weight. Like if somebody, let's say if somebody is um, wanting to attain like a healthy body composition, um, like for, I'll use myself an example. I was almost 200, 235 pounds and I didn't need to eat 235 grams of protein. So I mm -hmm. ate for my targeted, targeted um, um, body composition. So for somebody who is completely ignorant. Let's say you've never, you don't, you don't even know how much protein is in, is in what. Right. On your plate, you should be concerned about with, with every meal and with every snack, you should be concerned about getting, I say at least six ounces, at least six ounces. If you're very active more, 
um, of animal protein. And something that uh, people forget is, um, you know, a lot of people will make their one, one, uh, one protein and then all of their sides and they'll have like three, maybe three different sides. I tell people sometimes to switch that up. If you can't afford to buy a lot of a very expensive protein, then maybe have a lot of a, a lot of different smaller amounts of protein that make one large portion of protein. So I can't afford to eat a massive plate of shrimp, but I can afford to have a couple of chicken thighs with six shrimp and one salmon patty that I have made and I can have that and then one side of vegetables, one big side of vegetables. So variety of foods is a is variety of nutrients and you can do that with your protein as well. Okay, so you are going through your nursing program right now. Yes. So this means that you have seen some of the food being offered in hospitals. Oh, yes. So actually, my, my sister is a nurse, and oh, um, she's told her. me all. Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah, she's told me all about it. Um, yeah. And uh, the, I mean, I honestly it shocks me. It truly shocks me to hear what's being served. I mean, anytime I've had a baby, even before I was, you know, like when I had my first baby and it was not, I wasn't crunchy. I've had all hospital births. So I've had babies in, I've had four babies in the hospital and, um, they bring the food in and I'm always just like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I legit every single time I had a baby, I said, if you are coming to visit me in the hospital, you're welcome to do so. You have to bring food from outside of the hospital. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, the, the thing about, you know, hospital food is like, at least here in the U S you know, the hospital is a for profit, you know, industry. And so they're negotiating usually food contracts and their goal is to get it down as cheap as possible. And, um, you know, I, when I go to the hospital, it's not, it's not my favorite food. That is for sure. Um, but I was still able to get a chicken breast and plain green beans. And yes, I had to ask for salt on the side because they're not going to salt anything. (laughs) Uh, So, but you know, that's what I did. I know, I know. But I was like, I'm going to take care of my basics first. And um, people, people don't, they don't know. And then also if someone has never been, this isn't, this is another thing. If someone has never been obese or pre-diabetic or diabetic, um, hunger when you are, are pre-diabetic or diabetic is unlike just the hunger that somebody has normal body composition because they are starving for energy on a cellular level. And that's why I can look at somebody who I would say, it blows my mind. Your, your blood sugar is 400 right now, but you're eating 
a you're eating a dinner roll and the noodles off your pasta, but you left everything else. But I see why. They're all of their energy is in their bloodstream. It's not in their cells and their body is having a crisis. So I try to be incredibly compassionate because hunger, when you become insulin resistant, takes on a different intensity. And so to get off of that roller coaster, if you are dealing with a limited budget and you're also dealing with some of the, the beginnings of chronic disease, protein is your best friend. It's, it's not magic, but it feels like magic when you start eating enough protein, especially in the morning. It is almost life-changing. I've had people tell me like, just doubling my protein in the morning from an animal source changed my whole day. And so if you're not hungry, don't eat. If you're hungry, eat protein, target protein. I'm not saying pure protein. It's not like a fast or anything like that, but start with that. That's your anchor on your plate. Can the nurses and doctors not influence based on how a patient is doing what they're eating? Like, can they not request, like you said, more protein for a pre-diabetic patient? I mean, aren't or a um, diabetic hospital, patient? Aren't hospital meals all nutrition, like diet registered dietitian approved? Like, don't they have it registered dietitian? Okay. It depends on why they're there. And um, so, so if a person is in the hospital for, um, they have diagnosed hypertension. So they'll be on a low sodium diet, probably low saturated fat diet. And, you know, they open the menu, at least at the hospitals that I've been to, and they can order certain things and they are guided by the little emblems, what they're allowed to eat. And there is a difference between things that are um, diet compliant, but not helpful, if that makes sense. There's also things that are very healthy that are not necessarily helpful for that mm -hmm. person's situation. So, for example, if somebody is um, diabetic and their blood sugar is just constantly, they're trying to get off this blood sugar roller coaster, having a bowl of fruit might not be, like alone, like by itself, might not be the best choice for them. And, and I'll hear people say, but I thought fruit was healthy. Oh, it is healthy. I'm not, I will never be like, don't eat a banana, you know? Um, you know, there's definitely people who'd be like, you know, fruit's terrible for you. I, I personally... Do not um, subscribe to that way of thinking. But I will say, don't eat it naked. Have it with some protein. <laughs> have some, you know, have a, a, you know, a cheese stick with it or something like that. But those are healthy foods that are not necessarily helpful for their situation. It may not be the best for them to have the fattiest cut because they do need to lose weight. They do need to bring their blood sugar down. So... How, they can still eat whole foods and just understanding that the context of what people are, are allowed to eat in the hospital or what they are told to eat in the hospital, people do not always follow that. Their friends and family bring them food. Um, 
you have somebody who has blood sugar through the roof and their family's bringing in Bojangles. That's what we have. <laughs> you know, and, and that is their, that is their right because they're human being, <laughs> but it's not helpful. And so you, we ride that fine line of you're, you can make your own decisions, but oftentimes when someone is making a food decision that you and I look at that, we go, that is so what I, not what I would ever eat. How in the world could that person make that decision? Um, many people feel that they have done everything. They have done what they have been told and it doesn't work. So why not just enjoy what I have? It's too late for me. And it's a kind of a place of despair for them. So, um, and this happens a lot with people who, when we look at the statistics, poverty-wise, we see they're they're um, affected by higher rates of chronic diseases, diabetes, heart disease, nutrient de- deficiencies, but also obese. And so we have to help people. How do you get a nutrient dense, but also somewhat calorie reduced, high protein way of eating? And that is what I would suggest to anybody who's like, how, how do I approach this from a budget nutrition? I don't want to hate my life kind of way of eating. Well, actually, yeah, let's, let's transition to that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the issues that you've seen that make cooking and preparing these healthy foods on a limited budget, even more of a challenge. And what can we do to help combat those? And yeah. also, let's throw in, um, you know, from from the standpoint of a, of a mom or of parents, like, right. how are you, you know, making food for, because you have, you have four people in your family, right? That's, that's right. not, that's a right. lot of food to be having to make. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the situation that I'm, this that I'm in right now, you know, late night clinicals, my kids are in school, my husband is one that's home and I'm very blessed that he, um, he does do a lot of the cooking right now. And um, when I'm off in the summers, I do the cooking and we eat and we kind of always have. So we eat very simple foods. We're just we don't do a lot of very complicated recipes. It's usually a protein, a vegetable. And for my kids, they do get um, like beans. Um, and because I'm teaching them a variety of nutrients is or a variety of foods is a variety of nutrients. Um, but there's always protein. We always stress protein. We talk about this food at the table. Um, so for example, my girls, if you ask them, what is, you know, what is protein for? You know, what is protein? They can tell you where pro- you can find protein, eggs, meat, some, some in beans. What's it for? For my muscles. So I can j- jump and I can play on the playground and I can throw things and I can run and play tag. Like I attach what it does to how they grow to, in their body and what it can do for them. And then um, they do know what carbohydrates are. Where do we get our carbohydrates from? You know, lots of vegetables, fruit, things like that. And what is that for? That's for extra energy and for some vitamins and minerals. 
what's fat for? For my brain, so I can pay attention in school, so that I can learn, so I can have a smart brain and it can help me concentrate. Those, that's how we talk about food, not in a that's bad, don't eat that. I really try to avoid that. I have bad habits. So sometimes it comes out like that, but I really try to avoid it. But when it comes to cooking for my kids, it is, it's simple. Um, the last few months have been really hard for us financially. And so we do have our kids having free lunch and free breakfast from the public school. And that is, it, it did break my heart, not because I think I'm better than anybody or anything like that, but because I knew the quality of foods they were going to get were so nutrient poor and um, a sausage corn dog for breakfast, um, muffin for breakfast with chocolate milk. These are the things that they are getting for breakfast. And lunch is pizza and a roll and yay, a vegetable and it's raw cauliflower in a cellophane bag that's turned rancid. <laughs> That is what they are Yum. getting. At least it is it. Yeah. Let's turn these kids on to fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, my kid knows what fresh fruits and vegetables are and she, she won't eat the ones at school. And within the first, the first week of my kids having being on the, the um, free meal program, my youngest was in the, in the ER with severe constipation. Oh, it wow. jacked, never had that problem before, never. And it was the first full week of 10 meals at the public school. And even the doctor was like, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> so um, we're managing that and we're watching tastes change. And I, I could, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I have all the answers. I don't know. This summer is going to be. not not an actual cleanse but a palate cleanse where we're going to go back we're going to make sure we're getting good quality breakfasts in and good quality lunches at home during the summertime a lot of broth if you can yes lots of broth um mom i make mommy's feel better soup is what they call it so for cooking for my family it's simple that's honestly what it is and like i said we don't we don't have money to afford a bunch of junk we don't have we don't order takeout or anything like that just because we can't we can't afford it mm. um and you had to ask me about something else about, <laughs> about yeah so eating. you you had said that you you had seen some of uh certain issues that make cooking on a limited budget even more of a challenge yes. and you yes. talked about you know so one of the most basics is the lack of, of cooking skills, which I think is right. very common for most Americans. We just, it's a, it's a tradition, it's a skill that hasn't really been passed down. And so, you know, we're, we have 30 and 40 year olds and 20 year olds who have no idea how to cook. Right. Um, right. And they, they don't know how to cook. Um, so lacking cooking skills is, is, um, is one thing and, and that will make it much harder for you. So if you're, you know, 
just kind of new to wanting to eat more whole foods and you're on a, uh, on benefits and you have limited time, what I would suggest is get familiar with one animal protein at a time. So YouTube, um, how at Google, how long to cook chicken thighs or chicken breasts. Um, thighs are usually a little, um, less expensive. How to do that. Get some basic spices. Snap covers that and make it taste good. Make, put some, some, uh, Mrs. Dash or like what, whatever you can find that is around you. That is garlic and onion and different seasonings. Put those on there. Learn to cook one protein and one protein very well. Use a timer and get it, get it right. And once you feel comfortable with that, learn another one. But almost everybody outside of very, very rural areas has access to YouTube. And I would say if you're listening to this podcast, you have internet, uh, you can <laughs> access that. Um, your Instagrams are great resources. Um, cook, get, get comfortable with one, uh, one protein, one protein. You don't necessarily need to learn how to debone a whole chicken. Um, but it is helpful, but you also have to have a really good set of knives. And so sometimes it's the cooking utensils. So that you need, um, and I would just go to a secondhand store for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, is time. A lot of times folks are working. There's this mis- misinformation that, you know, people are just, oh, they're just lazy in their home and they're not, you know, they're just living off the government. <laughs> but that's not the case. The vast majority of people are working and they're working hard and they're working long hours and they're working the odd shift hours and they're coming home and they're exhausted and For those folks, I say um, frozen vegetables are your friend. And I I don't know what will be the long-term effects of this, but steam in the bag vegetables, if if you are trying to take food to work and you you are either going to eat out of the vending machine or you're going to microwave for four minutes some steam in the bag, cauliflower rice, and it's your choice between a honey bun and, and cauliflower mm-hmm. rice in a bag, go for the veggies and then bring the protein with you and, and microwave it. Um, I ran a sales route where I was out of my car a lot of the time, about 10 hours, and I would I made friends with every gas station that had a microwave on my big sales route. And I would go and I'd walk in there and be like, hey, um, just use the microwave. Like if it's a truck stop, they have a microwave, I promise. Um, So um, the time, make big batches of things and keep it simple. Um, And utilize frozen vegetables because if you don't have a lot of time there's nothing worse than spending your benefits and your budget on a bunch of fresh fruits and vegetables and then having them go bad because you had to pick up a shift to pay your light bill and then your food went bad because you didn't work you you know you were working so just take that burden off everyone you know 
at the USDA and the health department is like fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables. Guess what? Frozen is fine. Frozen is fine. Canned is fine. Um, batch, uh, big fro big bag of frozen chicken breasts, um, is fine. You, it, it is good. It is quality protein. Um, the next is, um, the, and one of the biggest challenges that I see is tastes and food aversions, uh, and just the, an unwillingness to try new things. That is one of the hardest things for people to overcome. So if you're truly looking to change your health and you are um, at the poverty level, a lot of times you've had to just eat what's around you and Oftentimes we call those the white foods. It's chicken nuggets and French fries, um, pop tarts, things like that. And your tastes do change. Don't give up. Keep trying new things. And if that means you put some salt on it to be able to get your vegetables down, if that means you have to put some salt on your protein, go for it. Just, just do it. It's better for you than Chef Boyardee in a can. It's better to get the quality protein. Um, but you do have to be willing to, to try some new things. It's a lot, it's kind of a life skill. It's very, <laughs> it's vital. <laughs> it's a life skill. I like that one. <laughs> it really is. Like I've told my, I've told my uh, siblings, like if you go date someone and they just chronically never try anything new, you were like, Hey, try this. And they're like, no, run away. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> Red flag. Run yep. away. Um, I I'd like to just add in um something if if we I know we have been going for a while. Yeah. It's okay. Go ahead. Um, um, but I had to do I did a big research paper, and it yes, was for an evidence-based. About this. Yes, it was an evidence-based research paper, and we take what's called a PICO statement where you take a look at a population and intervention and you, you basically look at this outcome. We're going to, what happened when we did this intervention with this population, with this problem. And I picked um, school nurses and my whole literature review was looking at the data out there on obesity um, and nutrition programs led by nurses in public schools do they work? What were the outcomes? And searched and searched and searched the the different databases uh, with the help of um, a librarian, like researcher for the nursing program. And the data that is there is very grim. The data shows that um, there's either no difference in outcome when a nurse helps children in public school with a nutrition program or any nutrition program, the outcomes are either statistically insignificant or the kids go home and they're so hungry that they just eat garbage at home or that's all that is there at home. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, we have to keep trying. We need better trials. But when, when I looked at all of the different, um, different research trials that they, that had been conducted, the intervention was not simply a, a nutrition program. You had to look at what that nutrition program 
told those kids to, to have and what they supplied. And they're all the same and they all have poor outcomes. It's always increase fruits and vegetables, cut down on sodium, decrease fat, and decrease sugar-sweetened beverages. Mm -hmm. it's, it's either one of those things or a mixture of all of those things. And they have the same outcomes. There's no, there's no real meaningful difference or it's just negligible or worse outcomes. I did see that. And so I would love to see research done where they had fresh fruits and vegetables, but they increased quality protein. They sometimes mm. decrease protein or the protein that they had was things like um, a veggie burger. So the research that we do <laughs> is is not getting, it, we keep getting the same outcomes because they keep doing the exact same interventions. And it was, it was really kind of depressing to see that. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same yes. thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I have um, like a massive, massive file of all of these research, the, all these research trials. And I'm highlighting fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, low sodium, low sodium, low fat. And I'm like, oh, same outcomes every time. I mean, I've seen a couple of documentaries on this very topic of, you know, people going into schools to try and make a difference in the school. And um, and and that's every what you just said is exactly what they do. They say, you know, we need more fresh fruits and vegetables. We need less soda and Gatorade and you need, you know, whole grains are always up there in the recommended sphere. And there's right. never anything about protein unless it's to say, um, you know, tofu and beans and rice trump um, animal yeah. protein. And then the kids get hungry. Right. It does. It doesn't. Well, they get hungry and, and also their palates change and, and it's possible that their gut microbiome changes. And if they are not eating protein consistently, their body is not going to make enough acid to be able to break that protein down. So then they're not mm -hmm. going to feel good when they are presented with protein or they're not going to reach for it. Right, and right. and it's, it's just sort of this sick cycle that, you know, we're going to keep feeding them and the modeling cars. has to be better. Like uh, you see nurses like right now, um, I think it's uh, one in three nurses is um, overweight or obese. And we're in charge of teaching our patients what to do. If you're a school nurse, you're supposed to help these kids make good habits. And um, they... In the high schools, the kids come to school having not eaten or they skip breakfast and it's, hey, pat on the back, have a piece of candy and then go back to class. And, and in the hospital- expected to learn things. To learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we talk about it all day long. And I, I mean, teachers talk about how terrible it is and all the food is terrible, but what can we do? And this is a structural, it's a, it's an institutional, it's a government, it's a, it's a huge, huge problem. And it's people like Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf, it's Lily Nichols. It's, it's everybody that's fighting right now um, against money and uh, people like James Connolly, who, um, uh, you know, is producing podcasts as well and documentaries about this and trying really hard to change it. But I think um, the great equalizer for everything is, is quality protein 
for people who are finding themselves in at poverty level. And what we have said, the overwhelming message is if you're at poverty level, you should eat poverty food and that's beans and rice. And that's what you deserve uh, because it's cheap. And that is not uh, the message that I would jive with at all. Go Corey. Cause you've been dying to ask this. <laughs> oh, wait, what are, what are you telling me that I'm dying to ask? Oh, I thought that you wanted to, <laughs> this, this sort of like flows directly into we talk a lot about real food being elitist oh yeah Yeah. I was dying to ask that you're right go ahead you ask it um Um, yeah (laughs) okay no go ahead what were you Um, gonna say what were you gonna say I was just gonna say that I I mean real food has a tendency to be viewed as elitist by people in the real food community, but also by people, um, you know, at, in, in the, in the standard American diet world, Um, you know, it, it, not only that it is more expensive, but that the people are, um, the people are elitist about their food, Um, kind of the way vegans are sometimes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So, I, I think we've ta- we've kind of all said that 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 we don't agree with that that it doesn't have to be, um, but what you just said is definitely leads into that conversation about real food being elitist. What we can do to maybe combat that um, um, claim uh, or status, and um, yeah. So so what what do you think, Victoria, that we can we can do? as I don't know if I would say that we're leaders in this community, but we are people that have a, have a platform, um, no matter how small our platform is. Um, and I, 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 okay. What can we do? And then what can our listeners do to help, um, you know, level the playing field? Go ahead, Christine. Did you want to say something? No. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. What can we do to help change this, negative view of real food um so uh, there's uh i think there's words words mean different things to different people and um when we use the term real food like you and i know that what we're talking about unprocessed whole foods um you could probably go get it at a farm or pick it in the backyard or out in the wild. We understand that. But for somebody who's coming from um, living at the poverty level, food is food is food. And it is life. And it just keeps them, it keeps hunger at bay. It keeps, and that's it. Um, So as you get, almost as you climb, uh, I hate to say this, but like income status, food takes on different, food can afford to take on different meanings. And uh, so when you're discussing the topic of food, I try, I try to, to, I'm trying to drop 
the term real food because it denotes that there's fake food. And I would actually say, yes, there is fake food. Uh, we have like 80 new uh, food products or food-like products um, every year that didn't exist the year before. So yeah, I would say there's definitely fake foods, but I would ju- I just call them food products or food-like products um, or, or processed foods. But, but just look at, just know that the other person on Instagram or the other person in the, in the comment section, they might be somebody, you know, like myself who is trying to be educated. And when you say real food, they don't really know what that means. So I try to be very specific with what that is. A whole food, meaning it could be, it is as close to its source as possible, which means, um, you're basically only like cooking it. You know, you didn't have to go through um, frying it and like processing it, frying it, and then doing a bunch of extra stuff to make it a Cheeto. <laughs> you know, um, and and talking about food for nu- nutrition, not just food for energy. So I always try to tie food with nutrition, and I. Sp- I talk about food that way is in, um, well, when I'm thinking about my nutrition, instead of just, I'm thinking about my food, I'm thinking about my nutrition. And that is a, it's a good provider for me to not just mindlessly pick food, but food means different things to other people. Food is connection. Food is more than just nutrition for some people. For some people, food is comfort. For some, you know, it's, it's family, it's culture, it's, it's memories. Um, so, and then just asking people sometimes like, what does, what does food mean to you? And what, see what they say. You know, if this isn't a real conversation, I don't think you can solve a, the world's problems in the comment sections of Instagram, but um, <laughs> even though I've had my rants there before, but um, the best work is done, I think, with actual conversations with people. Yeah. I hope that was a good enough answer. <laughs> oh, no, 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 definitely. Yeah, I agree that just having these conversations with individuals and trying to understand where they're coming from is one step towards making a change in the system. And I actually don't think it's possible for us to change the massive beast of a system right now when it comes to school lunch programs or, you know, hospital food and stuff like that. So really it's just step by step. Yeah. That's why we have to support the people who are, that's why I just like, I keep, yeah. you know, I will be Lily Nichols's champion all day, every day, um, because she is in the, in the trenches doing that hard work. And um, so I try to really support in that way, even if it's just a share or you know promoting whatever she's promoting at the time, because that's what I can do. Yeah. Well, Okay. So you mentioned that you have an urban farm that you started during the pandemic. You want to yeah. share a little bit more about that? Sure. So um, we can see kind of, we saw it at yeah, the beginning. The grow, lights went, the grow lights went off um, yeah. at 10. <laughs> um, so um, during the pandemic, my, my husband, um, his restaurant shut down. So he has always loved farming and growing and, and just being out in nature and 
you know, working with the earth. And so he planted our whole backyard and our whole front yard. I thought I was going to get some grass for, uh, we had sand, <laughs> but he planted the whole front yard and he was like, I need it for production. I was like, ah, front yard. I wanted a front yard, but, uh, he, it's, um, he planted the whole front. And then we also have, uh, grow lights for microgreens and we are, we've, we've had, some challenges like weather challenges as anybody who's ever tried to grow anything knows how, how that is. Uh, but we sell to farmers markets and it's just one small way that we can be involved in being a part of local food. And um, it's very interesting because we try not to sell anything that's in grocery stores. Like the carrots we're going to grow are rainbow carrots. They're, you know, um, we're, growing things that you're just not going to find at Aldi's, um, which is interesting because I probably would not be able to afford the very things that we grow, but we are very um, fortunate to be able to just go back there and get what we need. So that is very helpful, but it is a more than full-time job for him. So he's doing that and we're, it's a new, it's a new business, but there's a lot of satisfaction in. And this is literally your backyard. Oh Yeah. These pictures yeah, the are your backyard. Up. Yeah, that's our back. That's our backyard. It looks huge. It's it's, uh, it's actually yeah, it like a quarter of an acre. Okay. It's a quarter and of an acre, and that's oh, you a have lot sand of leafy well. greens. Yeah, yeah. Corey, like, she has sand. You I, guys should we're gonna chat. Have to talk, or or I'm gonna have to talk to your husband because yeah. I we just moved to Georgia, and my whole property is sand. We've got nothing yeah. but sand. Well, it's a lot of inputs. It is a lot of inputs. And this is where it's it's interesting. No. Yeah. um, When you're, um, (laughs) when you're vegan and you think that um, fruits and vegetables are like the very best thing for the soil, you have to put things into the soil. It's, (laughs) it's, it's definitely and where do you get living those things and that you have to put Where do you get them? those things? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so he works very, very hard and he kills lots of bu- like bugs. He at, at one point, he, he doesn't want to spray anything on it. So at one point, he was going mm. down the lines, like squishing bugs with his hands. Oh. And he was just like, he was like, I, I, I feel... I feel very bad, but this is this is what I have to do for the, these crops. And, um, you know, so so while we love to eat local and we do our very best to do what we can with what we can, when we can, um, t- at the very tippity top, his, um, his rule is like, don't waste. Don't, mm. if you're going to take it and put it on your plate. I'm one of those that's like, you don't have to clean your plate, but that starts with just take a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. So let's not waste it. Um, formerly being vegan, I didn't want to hurt animals. But now I realize like it's part of this circle of life. It is a part of the life cycle. And so the very thing that I can, very least I can do is just make sure that the animal doesn't, doesn't die in vain. Use as much of the animal as possible. Eat nose to tail. And um, when I do have more time, I love doing that. So um, I saw you it had Dr. Beautiful. Bill Schindler on here. And uh, <gasps> I saw that you had uh, him onto this podcast. I love his, 
his book, oh, yeah, Eat yeah, Like yeah. a Human. His book is the other one that's like super easy. Like if you need a yes. quick overview of how to how to eat well, Eat Like a Human is the one to read. Yeah. And if you're trying, if you're on um, government assistance, SNAP benefits, and your international um, your international groceries are around you, if you have access to those, go poke your head in there. Sometimes you can find things that you will not find at any other grocery store and they will be inexpensive. Yeah. They will be so inexpensive. Like chicken hearts to me are like the, they're, they're like multivitamins. My kids love them. <laughs> and uh we just you know do a little brazilian barbecue with them <laughs> and yeah. they just they'll crush them but i know they're getting way more than any flintstone vitamin could ever get them <laughs> and they're in- Isn't inexpensive that the truth? yeah oh and they're inexpensive at the at the yeah. asian market and in, in where i where i live so and if you're crushed on time they cook up so fast they literally oh cook gosh. up in like five minutes yeah you gotta be so careful <laughs> Yeah. Turn, turn yeah. into rubber. <laughs> so yep. So that's what that's what we're doing. And when I when I graduate in, in December, I'll I'll I will be a nurse and um share what I can. And if if I can make an impact, hopefully it will be on the people that I am nursing with and being a good example because those nurses they go to the break room and they're crushing honey buns and they're crushing donuts and there's just a constant barrage of treats and you hear people say well it's just treats it's a treat it's a treat i'm like there's literally treats 365 yeah so anyway well is do you have any other questions Corey? no but i really feel like we could continue to talk I mean, if it wasn't like, no, we'll what, to, I would love to come back. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it some more. I was about to say, yeah, we could always have a second episode. I, I, I hate being the one to cut us off, but I'm going to cut no, us off. Fine. No, we need. No, yeah. Fine. <laughs> I think, I think we've wrapped it up. So I think we've like, you know, covered what we intended to cover a bit extra, maybe skipped a couple things, but I, I just honestly, okay. So at the very beginning, when Christine and I started talking about doing this podcast, I told her, like, I really, really, really want to cover SNAP and and WIC and how it is possible because I know that it has to be possible because um, <laughs> years and years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow did this whole thing about, like, how she was going to eat healthy on, um, on a, you know, a, a, a SNAP like budget and she was, you know, she's vegan. So whatever. But, um, but I was like intrigued by that. However many years ago that was. And I was like, this has, we have to be able, we have to be able to serve the people in our culture, in our country that don't have, um, you know, huge amounts of money to go spend on things. They have, we have to be able to help them eat better. And so at the very beginning, when Christine and I started talking about this podcast, I said, I really, really, really want to have somebody on here who knows about this and has experienced this. And I can't imagine anybody better than you, Victoria. This has just been a fantastic (laughs) conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Honestly, I, I wanted to just end by saying it, 
while this can tend to be a heavy subject, I actually feel like you have given so much wonderful information and news and positivity for anyone who is in this situation. And, and I mean, it's just been, it's been really cool. (laughs) Thank you. But where can listeners find you and connect with you? Where can they read your research paper if they want to? Oh, gosh. So it's, I don't want to call it a research paper. It's a, it's a literature review. So I just look at the literature literature and it's not, it's not published. Um, I had to do it for my university. Um, But maybe one day I will have published research and hopefully it will be on, uh, on metabolic health and nutrition. Um, and I have big ideas for the future. I, I'm going for my my DNP as soon as I as soon as I can. And my dream, mm-hmm. I'm putting it out there. I'm telling you all here. My dream is to have a center where it is a medical office attached to a demo kitchen because I come from a restaurant background. A demo mm-hmm. kitchen that has um, projector. It has glucose monitoring. It has all of the different metrics that we can measure people's metabolic health through um, and teach people the food component, the budgeting component, uploading all of their stuff to um, chronometer and watch in real time their, their health transform but also like how to do this in the real world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's just what people need is they need someone to stand beside them and say, Hey, this is how much, this is how you cook it. And this is, this is when you should have this. And, um, and so that's, that's my goal one day. (laughs) That sounds like such a worthwhile dream. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we'll be cheering you on from the sidelines and Hey, maybe you come back on and we talk about blood sugar. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> metabolic health. Yeah. I'd love fun to. conversation too. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So where can our listeners find oh. you and connect with you? Why don't you share? Um, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Um, Grexican gains, G A G, so you can tell it's, I'm, I'm tired now. Uh, Grexican, G-R-E-X-I-C-A-N, Grexican. I'm half, I'm half Greek and, and part Hispanic, um, Mexican and oh, Grexican Gaines, G-A-I-N-Z. G-A-I-N-Z. Oh, yep. Grexican Gaines. That's fun. Is yep. you, you said that's your Instagram or? That's my Instagram. Yeah. And okay. that's, that's awesome. basically it. Cool. I'm not a very cool. big, like influence or anything like that oh so. no worries yeah no just a place yeah. for people to find you if they want to connect with you appreciate it thank you so much thank you all right y'all have a good night or have a good anything. day I know. <laughs> bye thanks for listening to modern ancestral mamas check out the show notes for the resources you can find christine on instagram at nourish the littles and online at nourishthelittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at fornutrientsake and online at fornutrientsake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas.
The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.